Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Climate Change in the Multiverse. I'm your host, Kelly Tatham, and today we have Nazanin Mogadami with us. Nazanin is a fellow running mate for the BC Greens. She is running in Vancouver, Kensington. And her background is in clinical counseling. She works with sexual assault and trauma survivors. And she's also spent a lot of time working for the Rainbow Refugee Society, which supports queer refugees getting settled into Canada. I'm so happy to have you here today. And it's been such a pleasure getting to know you over the past month. How are you doing? How is your heart? How are you holding up? Good morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding up. I... It's been a journey. It's been um, almost like going through my undergrad again. All the insecurities, all the stress, all the joy, all the fun, all this anxiety, last minute assignments. It, it's been just like going back into that time of my life. It's been everything. Oh, no kidding. That doesn't sound too bad. A lot of people, most people survive their undergrad. So pretty much anyone could become a politician, right? Oh, oh, yes. And we, are, we actually have people running who are going through their undergrad right now. We have two 18 year olds who one of them turned 18 as she was campaigning. Oh, I know. I'm so I'm so thrilled by that. Looking at the the younger folks who are running, mm-hmm. and it gives me so much hope. And then you hear them speak, and they're just more clear, more cogent than most of the adults. And you're like, why aren't you running this? <laughs> Amazing. Yes. And I know, for example, Mackenzie Kerr, she has uh, an assignment due on Friday night, right before the election night. <laughs> and I'm and I just think that's such an amazing thing for for an 18, for a 23-year-old to, to be running and go through schooling while like she's, she's becoming an MLA. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and this is like her second election, I think. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And it's um, Kate O'Connor is the 18-year-old, right, or who mm-hmm. just turned 18, and she's on mm-hmm. the island. And, yeah, watching her speak has been incredibly inspiring. And yeah. So what was it for you? When did you decide? Was it before the snap election? Had you been thinking about this? Or was it after that it all just came rushing in? A, a bit of both. I, I started to think about maybe I'm going to be running one day when I was um, cheering for a politician who was running to become an MLA last, last round. I was at a union rally and I was just cheering for him. And like I saw, I looked at all the people who were on stage and I was like, I'm tired of cheering for middle-aged white cis men. It's, it's, and I also can't do a better job, I think. Like I looked at them, I was like, I can, I, I'm a better speaker <laughs> and I have better things to say. I have better experiences. So it kind of planted the seed. I started to talk to people and they assured me that, I don't need a poli-sci or a law degree to run that I can run with a counseling degree. And that's actually a good thing. Um, I didn't know how to apply my experiences to politics. And and I'm learning is that actually like having frontline experiences is a bonus. It it gives you perspective. And I met the BC Greens a few months back before COVID uh, when I was working, um, at a provincial campaign for actually free contraception. We campaigned um, the NDP government for two years and they rejected it and now it's in their platform. So that's been 
kind of nice <laughs> and interesting to see. Um, and yeah, they approached me and they're like, do you wanna? And I'm like, yeah, I wanna. <laughs> and that's how I got involved in this snap election. It's been honestly very difficult. I had like 48 hours to think if I can add campaigning to my full-time job. Have you and been I, working through this process? I have. I, I have a, I'm a trauma counselor. I've worked with refugees. I, I don't have a part of a kind of a job that I can just take a leave for four weeks. I, I, I can't. So I was preparing for next year. I was putting things in place so that I can take a month off. I need to prepare people. I need to refer people. I need to make sure that they're all connected. And with the snap election, it, it just wasn't time. It's not that we weren't prepared. It's just the timing of it. If I knew the timing, of course, I would have put things in place. So yes, I've been working full time and then campaigning full time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I, I have, I have, I have feelings about that, but I'll take my feelings to my therapist then and she will hold space for those feelings for me. <laughs> you can share them here if you want, if you feel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly, I'm mad. Uh, mad. I, I'm mad. And also it's, I was thinking about accessibility and how inaccessible this election has been. Um, I'm a relatively able-bodied person um, with relatively good hang of using of English as my as my language. And for some people who might have wanted to run and they might have not had this privilege, like I was doing door knocking. I did a lot of door knocking. Like it that when with no time to recruit volunteers. Yeah. And with a lot of pressure for the candidates to do everything on their own. If there's anything that you're struggling with, if you have kids, if you have a disability, if you have a barrier, if you have uh, chronic pain or illnesses or anything that would, you know, stop you from being able to give your 100%, whatever that means, it's it's a barrier. I wish that all my um, platform material were translated into at least Farsi um, and also, like, I live in a very diverse neighborhood. I wish that all my videos were having sign language interpretation at the bottom of that. But there was just no time. Yeah. And that's an accessibility issue. Absolutely. Well, the whole system, not just the SNAP election, in particular the SNAP election, but the mm -hmm. whole system, the barriers to entry are immense. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. if we're like even setting aside all of the logistics, just the co the, the the concept of what politics is and who belongs there, yeah. you know, I'm I'm in a white body, but I'm a woman, and we are we see a lot of women in politics now, but that's still new, and I and I I don't feel like I belong there, you know, uh, that's something that I've been the hurdle that I've had to cross. I'm like, well, who am I to do this? And you know, I don't have this background or I, I don't have these, mm -hmm. these sets of facts in my mind that I can pull mm -hmm. from. And anyways, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so many levels, there's so many levels of inaccessibility and I can't even, people I think don't even ha have the availability to think that that's something they could do, 
You know, Absolutely. that's the, the first barrier to even believe that they could do mm-hmm. that job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. It took me actually two years to work on myself to get to this place. Like from that, actually three years, because that really was the last provincial election. Three years. That's when I started to talk to other women who had run before me. And they, it took me three years of just emotional preparedness that I, I can belong. Someone like me can run. Someone like me who doesn't have a background or a family who is engaged into politics. Because when we were back home, like politics is a dangerous thing. And I I had to learn everything on my own. And also the political system here is very different. So it took me three years of just building myself up, researching, talking to people, getting involved. And who has that time and drive? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So with all of this buildup and all of this mental preparation, what was it like actually stepping into the role? What's the emotional experience been like for you? Roller coaster would be the word, <laughs> especially like at the beginning. Um, it was just, and when you know, you, you know, some of this, you feel some of this when you're a woman, and also when you're an immigrant, you're kind of used, to, or I'm kind of used to the system not working in my favor. I'm always anticipating something going wrong, I'm always anticipating getting a rejection letter of some sort. And when I was waiting for my like being verified by the by the party, I was like, well, they they might not verify me because sometimes I walk my dog without his leash, <laughs> and it was it was real, it was real for me, and it wasn't until someone called it cute that I could snap out of my head, and I was like, oh, this is just in my head because I'm not used to the system working for me, so when I can't find a legitimate reason, I make up this like terrible like unrealistic reasons why I wouldn't get vetted sure. <laughs> because I <laughs> and like people laugh and I hope they the city doesn't like, find no, me. No, can't have her legal dog walking. <laughs> <laughs> and like the city might find me. That's fine. Um, but it, it's been very stressful at the beginning. It was just very stressful of like, sh- like, do I, can I even run? What do I, what am I going to even say when I run? And then it wasn't until I started to talk to people that that I realized that people are like in my neighborhood, community members, they have their concerns and they want their concerns to be addressed. They don't want a politician. They don't want someone charismatic. They don't want someone who's very well-versed in politics and numbers and political jargon. They want someone who listens and makes things done. And I realized that, oh, Actually, this is something that I can do. I can listen to people. I can create a bit of a conceptual things that needs to be done and some of the policies that would address those unmet needs and gaps. And then I can propose them. That's that's what the job of a politician should be. So at some point, it started to kind of settle. And then the logistical stress kicked in. <laughs> so there has been kind of like multi-layer stresses. Sure. I Yeah, I love that you're saying that because I, I had the same realization myself. It's like, well, maybe I don't know, you know, about all of the the bills and all of the history mm-hmm. of, of how mm-hmm. it's it's all fallen out in the past. But I can listen to people. 
Yeah. I can hear what you're saying. And I can see that things can be different. I can see the bigger picture. I can see how it's all connected and how policy completely rules our lives, <clears throat> which I think is something that we all know, but we don't really know. And for me, it's been um, a part of the roller coaster has been the deep upset at seeing oh, this could be so different. And the people who hold the power have just not been making the, the necessary changes. And how depressing Absolutely. is that? Very depressing. And you and I both live in writings who are who have a legacy of powerful women um, representing. And what has been disheartening for me is that there is, there, my writing especially, there have been trailblazers. Ujjal Dessange was the MLA um, in my writing previously. And then with, with when the NDP, the last time that the NDP came and uh, represented my community 11 years ago, they opened the door, they, uh, they cracked a glass ceiling, and then, and then it just stopped there. Hmm. And that's been really sad, actually. As a person of color, as an immigrant, I know how difficult it's been to get to that place. And then... And then nothing happening with that, that's been really heartbreaking. And I think maybe your writing might be the same. I don't, I haven't dug too deep in your writing, <laughs> but we need people who, who keep the momentum going and keep engaged. It's, NDP has been so disengaged on the provincial level in my writing from the community no one knows what's going on at the provincial level. No one can name anything. I haven't been able to do to, to find any anything that my writing has done in the past ten years. I've been googling, googling, talking to people who worked like um, in the parliament, and no one no one can answer me. I've I've low key also trolled the BCNDP Twitter kept asking them to please tell me the things that my writing have put forward with no mm. answer. <laughs> they just don't respond to me. <laughs> well, that sounds like incredible inspiration to run, you know. <laughs> so how's that been going when you're talking to people in the community? Are they, are they feeling the same way that you've been feeling? Surprisingly, yes. And that's been actually very validating. I thought it was just me. I thought it was just in my head and I'm being too critical and, you know, too, like my expectations too high. And then when I started to talk to people, they shared the same thing. And, and it was, it was kind of a bit of an eye opening experience. I thought I was just going on my own feeling and experiences. And then when I spoke with other people, they shared the exact same thing. So it's been a bit of a collective experience. And that has also made it a bit easier to have a conversation with people that what what kind of a representation do you want? What kind of a representation works for you? What kind of a person do you want to represent you? What are your concerns? I live in a writing with lots of parents of, of small children and the schools being un, like underfunded has been a big issue especially for for students with disability that's not something that is on my radar a great deal besides if I'm at a dinner table with my neighbors who have kids because I don't have kids I don't have children around me but when I listened I was like you all you need to do is to just listen to two families and you get the picture 
And that's how low the bar is. And that hasn't been met for the past 10 years. And that's the heartbreaking and also the motivating part that, okay, if, if, if this is what needs to be done, I can do it. It's, it's not that difficult. And when you realize that MLA gets about 100 grand a year as a salary, and then you, you multiply it by 11 years, that adds up to one point something million dollars. And you kind of like, it, it just feeling. We have to show for it what has been done in the community. Absolutely. Yeah. Do Absolutely. you think that that is, I'm like, is the onus on the individual? Is the onus on the system, on the party? Like, what's happening there that someone who we can assume went into politics to change things? Mm-hmm. Not just a collective paycheck. I, I, I think I, I personally mm-hmm. believe that mm-hmm. everyone is driven by the need for change, even though they are operating on different ideologies a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So why does a person n- stop showing up for their community after they've landed that mm. role? I wish I had an answer. I really wish. But I'm with you that, again, like powerhouses that have come before us, like pow- powerful women who have come before us and opened doors, they had drive, they had experience, they had passion. I don't know what happened. It might also be a system that is so um, that is uh, so oppressive, so rigid, so old, that doesn't let people actually work on their passion and experience at what needs to be done, bureaucracy and paperwork and... Um, also putting profits first and not people first. And I think that's what we are seeing when, like even in conversation around side C and when they're talking or NNG, when they're talking about uh, we inherited that and there was no good way of handling it, there was a good way, but there wasn't a good way for the money, but there was a good way for people. Who did you put first? So when you're, an individual MLA being crushed by a system that doesn't put people first. There's so, I think there's so much fight that you can have to make change. The rest of your fight becomes about just maintaining yourself. Mm. And also over time, we get into a little bit of a habit and that's what I have seen in my neighborhood that a lot of people, when I ask them, Tell me the reason. I want to know with curiosity. I ask them, why are you voting for NDP? A lot of people come back and say, have it. Huh. Yeah. You know, and, and even just having that conversation, like I see a light bulb going on and they're like, oh, like, did I just say have it? It's like, yeah, you did. So I, like one of the things I told myself is that I'm not going to convince anyone to vote for me. What I ask people to do is to research and compare and I leave it at that so every person I talk to I ask them can you research me and compare me with everyone else who's running because democracy isn't about convincing who's going to do it better it's about helping people making the best informed decision that they can Mm -hmm. so we'll see so we'll see (laughs) so we'll see yeah yeah you know (laughs) 
It it should be about people making the best informed decision. And my concern is that people don't have the capacity or the time or the Mm -hmm. wherewithal Mm -hmm. uh, to, to make those decisions. I know in the past, um, you know, I've become more and more engaged all the time, but there have definitely been years where I go kind of like, you just take a quick scan of the website or you do a vote Mm -hmm. compass. And I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. I think I've always aligned green (laughs) (laughs) to like vote strategically, but um, I know that, you know, for example, we had an all candidates meeting last week and there was maybe 30 people who showed up to watch Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay, like, that's it. That's, that's the people in our neighborhood who want to know and see us Mm -hmm. debate. And, but that's the thing is people don't have the time. We're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So many people um, in or out of a pandemic are just trying to get through the day, Mm -hmm. trying to feed themselves, trying to keep a roof over their head, you know, because Mm -hmm. our government has policies in place that keep it that way, that keep us unable to focus on democracy unable yeah. to raise our voices and to engage in a meaningful way yeah and that's been my biggest one of my biggest frustrations is is sitting with that and the frustration of why things are the way they are when mm-hmm. you know if everyone had the time to properly engage mm-hmm. i think most people would vote green everyone has their personal ideologies but when you kind of look at it all laid out and you understand that we can take care of people. There are enough resources to go around. You don't keep building projects that are degrading the planet Mm -hmm. (laughs) that scientists are telling us are not worth Mm -hmm. it. That Mm -hmm. economists are now telling Mm -hmm. us are not worth Mm -hmm. it, you know? So yeah, I'm I'm just kind of rambling now. (laughs) Yes. No, I hundred percent agree. Like if people who made the decision, who were involved in deciding to call the snap election if they were paying attention at least they wouldn't do it in october it was announced the same week that serve ended that's a huge stressor for a lot of people it was announced two weeks after the eviction ban was lifted in bc it was announced a month after school started so if you are a CERB recipient, if you got an eviction notice, if you are a parent of a school-age child, if you are in any post-secondary college education, if you're a student, how can you afford to pay attention? And if you're involved in the community, you would have known that. That's one of the reasons why I can't take time off my work. Because I ethically, of course, like my employer was like, and my clients, the members that were supporting at Rainbow Refugee, is so understanding. They were like, take the time off. But how can I? When I'm supporting people into getting connected to resources because they were reliant on CERB and now it's all gone and they don't have a job. And now they're going to get evicted because they don't have that protection. And if people, <laughs> if people who made those, if politicians, if John Horgan, who made that decision were paying attention, they wouldn't have done that right now. Or they would have done it in the summer. Like, go for it. Do it in the summer. Sure. At least that's better than that. It's hard to feel that it's not on purpose, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
my friend Rivers says, I try to keep my conspiracy theories at arm's length, but like, <laughs> but then you just look at all of it and you're like, wait a minute. And it was right after Sonia had been announced as the new leader. A and- week after our leadership race was over, yeah. we were at our, the most, the weakest point, like after a federal leadership race and after a provincial leadership race. It's, and you know what? The day that I went to submit my nomination package, the BC elections, I walked in and they were like, are you here to vote? And that question just really took me by surprise because it was Thursday and the election was announced on Monday, I think. And I was like, are people voting right now? And they were like, yeah, we had people coming and vote. The only candidates on the website who were verified and had all their paperwork in place for all NDP candidates. And people were already voting for them before even knowing who else is running. How, how is this democracy? It, 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 I, I cannot, it, it, and this is not conspiracy. These are, I wish I took a screenshot and I didn't, I should next time. But you look at the, when you open the BC elections website, it was all NBC, NDP in all writings, no one else. And then slowly, day after day, they started to pop up. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I got asked for an NDP signature, like to, to mm-hmm. get them through before the election was announced officially. What? Yeah. Is that yeah. even legal? Uh, I can't, but that's what happened in my neighborhood. Um, coming home in my backyard, I got asked for a signature before the election was announced. I uh, I heard from the grapevines <laughs> that at least two months before it was announced, people knew. The government knew two months in advance. That makes it July. You know... <sighs> heavy heavy it's just i think that we feel i shouldn't say we i think a lot of people in british columbia the more privilege you have the safer you feel you know we look at the rest of the world and we go we're in a good spot Mm -hmm. and we are in many ways Mm -hmm. uh, at least relatively Mm -hmm. and uh and we look at what's happening with politics in the states and it's terrifying but we go oh we're okay we're okay we're fine Mm -hmm. and and people just want to trust that they don't want to to grapple with the reality that the structure of our governance system is colonialist it's white supremacist and Mm -hmm. what's happening down there is happening up here Mm -hmm. though on a subtler level though on a less intense level um Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's so upsetting and frustrating to watch your government go, you know, what's more important than taking care of people, retaining my power, getting more mm-hmm. power. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, we are relatively safe and stable here. Like I was talking to my mom and she was telling me how insulin has become such a rare commodity in Iran right now because of sanctions. And I couldn't even like if that 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 sentence was just so overwhelming because if you have diabetes you you can't afford not to have insulin so like of course when you are struggling on such a 
personal day-to-day level, it's so hard to, to pay attention to democracy. And here, on some levels, if you have some privileges, you're relatively okay. And if you're not, you're not. Mm. If you're if you're indigenous, if you're living on reserve, if you are having precarious immigration status, if you're a temporary foreign worker, if you're a single parent, if you have a disability, if there's anything that separates you from the quote-unquote mainstream middle-class population, you're also struggling. And some of the living conditions are terrible here. So some people... A lot of us can't afford to get engaged with the political level because we're just surviving. And some, they don't engage with the political level because they don't have to fight for survival. And there's, hopefully there's a Venn diagram of people who are, who are just like in both situations, they're just involved. Um, But it's, it's, it's tricky and it's the responsibility of the government to do outreach and to engage people and to give them the um, uh, the mediums to be able to be involved and get educated. It's not up to people. 100%, of course, everyone has some individual responsibilities, but it's up to our government to be able to put the conditions in place that people can get engaged. And I don't think it was done this time at all. That sucks. <laughs> it sucks, but that's why we're here. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Having the opportunity to, I mean, it's been a huge growing experience and it's, it's activated me personally. And I hope that it's activated the people around me further and yeah, I got to meet you. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think we started something really great. Um, I was talking to um, an activist who, have worked quite closely with Jean Swanson and this last election, not the other one, the last one, the previous one. Um, she just shared that one of the biggest lessons they learned from Jean was that we're in this for a long call. And I think regardless of the outcome of this election, especially the Greens, we've started something big. We started to make people think that they don't have to choose between bad and not bad Mm. between going back to a government of liberals and NDP they can choose better and you don't have to hate or dislike or disagree with the NDP government I actually do agree with a lot of the things that they've done and said and I absolutely disagree with a lot of things that they also done so it's complicated you don't have to wait until you hate a party to vote another one which I think it's just the whole thing about partisanship and party loyalties. I don't agree with it. But one of the things that I saw was I was at a um, Farsi um, debate. So the debate was in Farsi with um, the two Iranian candidates of the BC Green and and one MLA candidate with the Liberals, uh, all Iranians. And one of my friends texted me this morning and he was like, our whole family watched that debate. And this is not a family that would normally watch any debates or follow politics in Canada. So 
him, his wife, they have a newborn, their parents, both sets of parents, they just watched the whole debate. And I was like, you know what? That's a win. That's engagement. Mm-hmm. That's democracy. When we yeah. get people who might not normally engage, be involved and curious, and people who are normally involved, help them ask questions. So I think the Greens are actually building a movement and make them people make people think that they have an alternative. If they want to vote progressive, their only option isn't the NDP, which for a very long time it had been, or at least for me it had been. And now they have options. And I'm and I'm very proud of the all the green candidates. I'm very proud of like we a lot of us have uh, grassroots experience, have on the ground. Uh, or lived experience we bring a lot of expertise learned and educational expertise as well I'm very very proud of our team me too me too and I feel so much momentum has been built Mm -hmm. and we're going to see a lot shift in this election I believe and then in the the coming the coming years and elections like it's just going to grow more and more and you know, I, I'm learning how to hold people accountable now. I'm learning how to hold my government accountable now and have a dialogue with them. So, you know, whatever happens within this election, I know that all of us candidates are going to keep fighting with the same passion mm-hmm. and drive because, like, we, you know, we know we see what's going on on the planet. We see the people who aren't being supported and, and what could happen um, if we don't support them and if we don't support the planet first you know, yeah. we're all going to be in big trouble. <laughs> so Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it was so nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for... Thank you, Kelly, for having me on your podcast and introducing me to podcasts. As I said, I'm a bit technologically <laughs> conservative. <laughs> I, it's such an honor. It's such an honor. <laughs> oh, my you friends have just... Whiz next. <laughs> My friends have like labeled me like for a year anti and they're like, oh, sweetheart. And I'm, and I just like finally in this election, I realized that I just have to own it. I, there's like, I was a, a tech viz when the, the internet was dial up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of stayed there. <laughs> You're like, I got the skills and then I stopped. <laughs> I get by with an email and a Twitter account. <laughs> What is the place to find you, right? That's where people can go and, and check you out if they want to. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Come engage with me on Twitter. Yes. And your handle is um, at N-A-I-N-A-R-I. How do yes. you say that? I, I say Ninary. Ninary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I couldn't find a handle that would. Yeah. <laughs> that would. <laughs> so I actually just reversed Iranian. Oh my God. <laughs> like in 2008 or 9 or whenever I made that <laughs> Wait, so it's, it's a rating backwards yeah that's fabulous I love it, I love it. everything was taken so <laughs> I was like <laughs> we're just gonna do with this <laughs> oh nice well thanks for being here Naz and good thank luck you for having me yeah. oh I can't wait to see the results I really hope to see you in legislature i just know the the changes you would make would just same same very proud of you kelly and thank you for having me
Oh, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye.